When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Billy Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Answers, here with another edition of FN Sports Podcast, where teachers grade sports' biggest issues, and we'll bring you another Fan Friday on a Monday, not because it's become the trend, but because we wanted to make sure we got through the weekend before getting to the fan stuff to talk about. That is because we're going to go ahead and wrap up the, I guess it's a drama, it's not quite a documentary, obviously it's got some fictionalized stuff so that can run with rumors, but we're going to talk some about winning time, the rise of the Lakers' dynasty uh we're gonna make sure we break that down from a fan's perspective and break down the entire first season so just a heads up there might be some spoilers if you're still watching the show we are recording this on sunday night shortly after the season finale just aired on hbo so without further ado let's dive on in to some winning time all right so winning time is an adam mckay production that's the same adam mckay that brought you anchorman talladega nights the big short don't look up a number of different classics but this time he's diving to jeff perlman's book we should note that it's not like word for word exactly like the book, but the book by Jeff Perlman was called Showtime, Magic, Cream, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s. The show was called Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. So it takes some of the same elements that were reported by Perlman and makes them this fun comedy, drama, sports show. And I have to say it's funny, my wife is much more of a football and baseball person, and she's gotten really into it as someone who's learning to appreciate basketball more and more we'll say we sit and watch it together each of the last uh what has it been 10 weeks 10 weeks or so because <laughs> uh, they just finished this series finale tonight and let's dive into some of the stuff that goes behind the scenes on the show first so the process of making the show starts and i believe it's 20 
14. Uh, so you got a screenwriter, Jim Hecht, flies across the country to talk to Jeff Perlman about turning that book, Showtime, Magic Cream, Riley, the Los Angeles Dynasty, into a show uh, kind of like the TV show Friday Night Lights or the movie Friday Night Lights. It was a screenwriter trying to figure out how to turn that story into a sports drama, again, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Flash forward to 2019, once it's all been written and agreed upon and so on, HBO orders a pilot of the series, but the big hurdle for HBO was they could not call it Showtime, even though the Lakers were dubbed the Showtime Lakers, because HBO Showtime is also the name of their streaming and other parts of their networks. So they had to start working on other names and things like that. Obviously, that is in April of 19. You fast forward a year by April of 20. The whole world is shut down. It's hard to film things when the world is shut down. So you have to jump frog all the way to December of 21 uh, when HBO announces that the title Winning Time, Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, would be airing that March. The 10-episode first season just wrapped up again on Sunday, May the 8th, I, it's worth pointing out that on April 7th, HBO said that they officially approved a second season. And later in the podcast, I'll take some shots at where I think the second season goes based on how the Lakers proceed in the 1980s and just kind of what the show was aiming at it looked like. But it's worth pointing out, even from the initial jump of the show, a lot of actual Lakers were kind of upset. Uh, you had Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar both feeling like there was some historical inaccuracies um blatantly magic is a giant womanizer throughout the show i don't know if that's necessarily his biggest critique but he certainly feels like there were some dishonesties made in the name of entertainment uh kareem abdul jabbar i think my wife pointed out when we first watched it she goes was he really that big of an asshole and really there are large parts of the first few episodes of the show where kareem abdul jabbar is bluntly this unlikable 32 33 year old veteran who has like been grizzled by the hardcore nature of the nba and you do understand that he spent time in milwaukee they give some backstory to that and he like forces his way to the lakers but he certainly seems hardened by the whole experience and bluntly comes off kind of like she said like an asshole <laughs> so i think it's worth pointing out that kareem did not necessarily like his depiction in the show either the most interesting and biggest criticism and most serious criticism i think so far has been from actual jerry west commentating on fictional jerry west's character i believe the quote from west's lawyer says that winning time falsely and cruelly portrays mr west as an out-of-control intoxicated rageaholic it bears no resemblance to the real man and so on and i have to say that while that may be drawn up for dramatization it certainly is the kind of character it needed to be for the sake of the show. Uh, whether that is, obviously, the logo, NBA icon, etc. He really did play for the Lakers for more than a decade before finally winning a title. And he played in the championship game, as the show depicts, many times. And even won an MVP on the losing team up until that 1972 NBA championship. He was kind of known as the NBA's greatest loser. This guy that, like could always get the mountaintop, was supremely talented and a great orchestrator of the offense and a tough-nosed defender and so on, but also could not win the big games when it mattered for whatever reason, either his own fault or his teammates or what have you. And that was including times that he played with Wilt Chamberlain. Anytime he played with other Hall of Famers, they just kept running into the Boston Celtics. And that is part of what the show depicts, and that's also real. Like, Jerry West, you can't go back and change that history even if you weren't necessarily the jerk about it by 1980 that the show was arguing that is part of the character trait and frankly part of like that attitude is very necessary for creating the lakers dynasty as they're building it the guy that has 
been there before, knows what can go wrong, and frankly, the comedic element of a guy that is nervous when it's about to go right is all important things. Uh, Newsflash, Lakers win the NBA championship in 1980, and so I don't mean to drop too many spoilers, but the show does track that accurately, (laughs) and they're not going to fake that along the way. I don't know why they would fake what happened in the 60s and early 70s along the way either. Now, if Jerry has some issue with the idea that was his twilight years, I worth pointing out like in looking at his wikipedia pages his basketball reference pages and so on it's literally labeled as his twilight years on wikipedia and the statistics dropped tremendously on basketball reference so obviously i was born in 1991 i can't say well i remember watching it and so on da, da, da. but i will say that every indicator of which is that that really was a drop-off in his career that they just so happened to win it during i also think that the like grizzled hardened person in his role fits differently much like the hardened kareem fits in the locker room one way the hardened west in the front office fits one way and indications as an exec whether it's the lakers in the 80s and 90s or the grizzlies in the 2000s or the warriors in the earlier part of the 2010s or the clippers frankly since what is it 2017 every stop he's made there has been some sort of a like grit and grind mentality obviously the memphis grizzlies being most notable for that but the lakers were the kinds of team that like yes had the showtime 80s but in the 90s they become the vladi divak nick van exel like tough guys that have to find some way to scrap together before eventually making the big move to west credit to go get uh, the trade for kobe bryant in the draft and then go pick up shaq o'neal like obviously that's two first ballot hall of famers top 75 probably top actually 50 guys of all time in the same off season like He's going to get his credit if the show goes on long enough for the great things he did, too. And I think the hard-nosed aspect, whether or not he thinks he's actually that big of an asshole, I guess no one's going to think of themselves as that, but that hard-nosed mentality is what gets him to the mountaintop with two dramatically different rosters in L.A. It's what helps him build the grit-and-grind Grizzlies of the mid-2000s that come back again and, frankly, rely on that same like mentality when they pop back up in the 2010s uh, he gets the Warriors in 2011 and they are also the tough-nosed Draymond Green type of team when he gets there 2011 his first draft there they get a kid named Clay Thompson the next year his second year there in the second round they get a kid named Draymond Green uh they in the first round of that draft I guess I should point out they also got Harrison Barnes few years later 2015 they get Kevon Looney who's still the starting center since those championship runs like they they frequently and consistently have managed to build a winning culture there he leaves in 2017 and goes to the Clippers and then the Clippers very quickly turn around and get the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George deals done in the same summer and turn themselves into this perennial contender obviously Kawhi and George were hurt and they missed like most of if not all of in Kawhi's case this season and that is going to hurt results but on the whole when those guys are on the floor that is a hyper competitive team and frankly we saw the same hard-nosed basketball played this season and last postseason even when those two guys were not there now you can credit that coach Ty Lue I think Ty Lue an excellent year but I also think that that is more of Jerry West impact every team he touches is going to have some of that as well as some flash and pizzazz and that's part of the fun too but I think you get that and that's how you get to the asshole of a character that is Jerry West those things go together to me so he's the most upset and I get it he looks like a jerk in the tv show an absolute jerk but I think that that really tracks both with the teams he's created and the persona he's put off 
and what the show needs. And frankly, he's never going to think he's a jerk. So I don't know if we should necessarily take his point of view there either. So I digress. I think that as much as he's complained about that in the public sphere, I think it actually works and might be realistic. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right, so we need to also dive into the casting here because part of this, and you know, Jason Clark is Jerry West, maybe also why Jerry West is somewhat upset, but some very brilliant casting moves, something that just really came out well. Uh, obviously, John C. Riley is Jerry Buss, and a lot of the first season is looking at like the construction of the L.A. Lakers and the creation of this dynasty and things like that. And John C. Riley is excellent so much so that in the moments in the first few episodes, he does this deal where he's breaking the fourth wall and talking to the camera. At one point in that final episode, I guess, the series, this season finale, he actually smacks the camera in a get-out-of-my-face kind of way. I have to say that I do feel like John C. Riley was a great pick for that that I would have never predicted in the kinds of movies I'd seen him before. Like, if you think of Talladega Knights, John C. Riley, Step Brothers, John C. Riley, or whatever John C. Riley you think of when I say the name, Jerry Buss is none of those guys. But Jerry Buss really does work in to all of the things about Riley and Riley does a great job of the off the floor kind of stuff that is Jerry Buss as well. I think what's interesting in watching the show is the kinds of things that Buss, Riley, etc. And again, some of this is in the Perlman book as actually how it went down. Some of this is embellishment by McKay and HBO. And some of this is John C. Riley just embellishing things as he's putting spins on words as a character. But all of it, I think, stems to the visionary aspect of we're going to make this thing the show to see in Hollywood, even though in 1979, NBA Finals games were on tape delay. For what it's worth, NBA playoff games could be seen on tape delay all the way through like 86. This guy named Michael Jordan comes to the league a little before that, and they was like, ooh, we gotta put this guy on live television. But in 1979, when West buys this team, there's several moments in the first couple episodes where he's like, we're going to have sexy cheerleaders big time shows we're gonna have a bar at the stadium it's gonna be a thing to come see there's gonna be things for rich people to do when they come through los angeles because lots of rich people come through los angeles you're going to want to be a part of the atmosphere at the forum and i think it successfully did that and john c Riley is totally the type of entertainer that sells that very well the like icky greasy car salesman that 
Jerry Buss may not want to portray himself as in modern sense, but I think plays the entertainment value of the show very well. I, I think that that's really, really strong. I think that the other guy we got to talk about in the casting of the show is Quincy Isaiah. Now, Isaiah's IMDb page is really short, and I don't mean that as a slide of any kind. I mean that to say that this is a breakout star, and he is playing Magic beautifully well. He's got a great smile for it. Uh, he's he's only about 6'4", but that means that Kareem, the actor that plays Solomon Hughes, and he's like 6'10", and so the height difference actually ends up working out when you've got the Magic Johnson character being 6'4", instead of 6'8". The Kareem character can be like 6'9", 6'10", instead of 7'2", and it still looks appropriate on the basketball floor. Anyway, I digress. The thing that sticks out about Quincy Isaiah as Magic is he's got the timing of the smile down. Obviously, there's only one Magic Johnson smile, and everyone's smile is unique and special, and da-da-da-da-da, but the timing of when to flash it, how big to flash it, and how uh, it all works very, very well. Isaiah clearly did a lot of studying or something because it all times up with, with exactly how Magic would have done it. So I, I really think that there needs to be some props given there. The other thing I have to say is that it's hard to envision carrying the kind of swag that Magic Johnson would have walked into the 1979-80 Lakers locker room with. But Isaiah certainly seems to master it in the course of the show, both the times where he's the vulnerable rook and the times where he dominates the locker room, I think, are really, really well done. Speaking of well done, everyone's going to give the appropriate credit to Jason Segal when he plays Paul Westhead or to Adrian Brody when he plays Pat Riley. Uh, we mentioned John C. Riley. Uh, Jason Clark as Jerry West, again, I thought was well done. I think I've mentioned that a couple times now. Uh, Devon Nixon as Norm Nixon actually is kind of funny. Uh, Hadley Robinson as Jeannie Buss is clever. I anticipate her character gets to be a bigger role, and we'll see more out of her in the second season. But I, I really liked Delonte D'Souza as Michael Cooper. Now, I, I maybe that's because I identify most of Michael Cooper. The guy's kind of left off this and gets clocked in the final scenes of the championship game, of the game six of the NBA Finals. But I will say part of it also is Michael Cooper kind of gets forgotten about in a lot of ways. He's from Pasadena, goes to Pasadena City College, ends up on the Lakers. It feels like this dream story that kind of gets trumped by Magic Johnson coming to the Lakers a year later. And it's just the little moments where D'Souza pops in as Cooper and it's like, hey, I'm here too. Like that, like the little pop-ins throughout the show, whether it's at the first training camps in practice where he's like, I'm about to not be a rookie anymore. And then like the comedy is that he gets treated like a rookie because you're not going to treat Magic Johnson like a rookie. Or there's a big dunk out of him or whatever. Like the big celebrations out of Cooper feel funnier because of the characters build up throughout the show. I, I really appreciate those little tidbits of Delonte D'Souza throughout the show as Michael Cooper because frankly, that is kind of the undercurrent of Michael Cooper's story as an L.A. Laker. The recurring character that gets the most like funny jokes on Twitter is Sean Patrick Small, who plays Larry Bird, because frankly, it's just a funny visual. Super skinny, the awkward bowl cut, the mustache, etc. And for what it's worth, I think that Larry Bird did have all those things. He's a little bit more athletically built, but on the whole, what did have all those things. But my favorite recurring character is probably... Michael Chiklis, who plays Red Auerbach. Now, I think that most of my love for that was because Red Auerbach would totally be the jerk in this situation, and Chiklis plays that very, very well with the cigars and the scotch and then this and the condescending that and the condescending that and over and over again. Or there's the scene early in the season when Auerbach and Buss are talking and they're sitting around this like very fancy establishment where they get steaks and scotches and so on, and Auerbach's like, you'll never be me. And, of course, that's exactly what the Lakers are trying to build in the 1980s, or whether it's that final scene we see Arbach in Philadelphia in the final episode 
where they're in game six in the NBA Finals, and Arbach's like, you're still never, they're not going to give you the trophy tonight. They're going to give the Sixers the trophy in a couple days in Los Angeles, and da da da. Like, that consistency, I think, is key. And it's also just funny because it is kind of a caricature, and I guess there might be Bostonians that hate that it's a caricature, but I really like the caricature, so I'm going to give that an A. I really, really like that. That's probably my favorite recurring role. Uh, for whatever it's worth, I also think. Andy Hirsch did a great David Stern. I think we'll see a lot more of that character in the next season as well. James Leisure did a great Dr. J, and I think that that might be the most we see out of him, obviously, with them playing Philadelphia in the 1980 NBA Finals. But I think that that's worth pointing out because that was like this older mentor, and I think that it's accurate because that really does seem to be what write-ups say Dr. J was doing by 1980. But the best recurring character probably because it's the guy that you almost forget is just a recurring character is Wood Harris playing Spencer Haywood. Now Wood Harris is probably more famous for his role in Remember the Titans. He was Julius Campbell, one of the main characters at the integration of that school, right? And obviously there was some like exaggerations and elaborations for TV's sake in that movie as well, but Julius Campbell was very central to that story. And in this dramatized retelling of the LA Lakers. Spencer Haywood is not the same type of character, but it almost feels like at certain times Spencer Haywood does become a centralized character because of issues with addiction and issues with drugs and issues with this that were very reminiscent, representing the entire 1970s NBA. I think he gets stuck on Spencer Haywood in this show, but really when you go back and read what Stern and Magic and Bird and folks at the top of the NBA, bus included, were trying to fix in the early 1980s that is kind of a overarching theme, and it gets pinned on Hayward as a reminiscent or a older character in this show, but that doesn't actually mean that it's necessarily only him by any stretch, and I think it's just kind of the purpose he serves. I also feel like there's some like level of repentance or the way he his scene at the end of the season when he and Kareem are sitting in his home and he's clearly debating hurting himself and is really in a bad bad spot the emotion of that scene and the callback to his daughter and those kinds of things like that really dominates the show in a weird way that a recurring character or a secondary character or ancillary character probably doesn't draw that kind of emotion so you got to give wood harris the nod for the biggest and most important one of these guys even if i like laughing at michael cooper or whatever more uh, that this re the reality of that is that that's a very much more important role in the show all right, so this is probably the part of the show where if you have not seen the season finale, have not seen some episodes of the show, you might want to turn it off because we are going to talk through how the season went and look at what's going to happen in the second season, or what we predict, I should say, is going to happen in the second season. So this is your big, grand spoiler alert. Now, the season ends with the 1980 LA Lakers winning the NBA championship with Kareem, sidelined, and hurt uh if you don't actually know the story he does actually hurt his leg in game five and then has to go some of the bench or stay at home i should say and watch the lakers win without him in philadelphia the finals mvp is awarded to magic johnson i think the interesting aspect of the show that we're watching is there seems to be some finagling that got magic johnson the finals mvp kareem per the show appears to be upset by it and that is interesting in and of itself it's also worth pointing out that you see Larry Bird at home practicing and upset that Magic is having all the success and he didn't. The rivalry is very much building. You hear the back and forth where Riley's talking about the MVP, the rookie of the year votes, I should say, and that really does get under Magic's skin and kind of help him find that second level and second wind to wrap up the NBA championship. So where does that go in the second se season of the show? Well, 
in the next season, the LA Lakers, they win a bunch of games, right? They go 54 and 28, finish second in the West or second in the Pacific. Anyway, they finish very high. Uh, they play another fast paced game, but they lose Magic super early in the season and end up losing the first round of the 1981 playoffs. Now, I. This season's under Paul Westhead, and I think that, you know, Bill Sharma is still involved, and he was involved in the first season. But I think it's going to happen here. It's going to really be a lot about Magic dealing with said injury, watching the Boston Celtics and Larry Bird turn around and win the 1981 NBA championship without getting to see Magic, because there was a whole storyline that was kind of an undercurrent, especially drawn up in the last few episodes, where Magic got to win the 1980 championship without playing bird but what i bet happens is that second season does not end at the end of the 1981 season because frankly that kind of ends on somewhat of a dud for magic in the showtime lakers but what would be interesting for the second season is to go to the conflict of the next season the 1981-82 season because very early in that season there is some depending on who you ask the blow up is i guess different size but some big blow up between westhead and magic uh, early enough in the season i think west had coached like 10 games and then that inputs pat riley into the head coaching spot for the 1982 team and that team much like west had replaced mckinney and then they went on to win the title in 1980 the lakers newsflash win the 1982 title after riley comes in 10 games into the season in very similar fashion now it's worth pointing out that that's two seasons out of three years where magic is healthy and the lakers win the whole thing i think that probably has more to do with it than any of the coaching changes but what i will say is that reports of that initial blow up between westhead and magic in the 81 82 season are pretty fierce like fierce enough that people say that magic may have wanted to be traded or didn't want to play for what or what it was or whatever and it sounds like they went from that to then Buss says, well, then we can get Westhead's butt out of here because I know it's much harder to replace that Magic guy than it's replace that guy with the clipboard. And I have to say that that seems to be already tracking with the way that Buss talks to Magic and talks to Westhead in the first season. I mean, there's no guarantee that Buss was even going to go with Westhead in the first scene of the show. Again, this is a dramatized show, but he went as far as to go to McKinney's house. It looks like about to offer him the job back before he decided to eventually fall back to Westhead. So I could see that being a crucial conflict in the second season. If you're like watching TV shows and dissecting how they work, there will typically be that big conflict at the end of the second season. I could see that being the big conflict that ends the second season where they hand the job to Pat Riley who, as the first season points out, was really just kind of a lucky-to-get-tagged-along guy by Westhead in the first place. He was doing the color commentary. He was sitting there in the TV broadcast booth, and they pulled him down to be on the sideline. And so I think that that would be an interesting spot where you have this young Pat Riley, a guy in his 30s, a guy that has no head coaching experience, and frankly a guy that, again, just got put on the assistant coaching job because Westhead needed somebody, and he was nearby and available that he then gets handed the keys to the car, and we've seen that Riley character get nervous in the course of the first season at various points. Now, I also think that's what point out Westhead get nervous at various points of the first season, so we may get some insight as to how that breakup happens. But if I were a gambling man, I think that the conflict of, all right, now Larry has a title and Magic has a title, I had to figure something out, and you have a coaching change again, and what's going to happen with the influx of this team, and Magic may or may not have requested a trade, and so on. I could see that being the big conflict to end season two. And then season three being where they carry out that season, going to beat the 76ers again in the NBA Finals. 
season four being losing in a pair of NBA finals once to the 76ers because the 76ers got to get their title in and whatever it's not. And then they do eventually get to play in the apex of season, what I imagine is four. The LA Lakers do play Larry Bird Boston Celtics in 1984, and they do lose a tough seven-game series to Larry Bird. I imagine that that becomes the apex of season four. It's what happens in that season. Season 5 redemption arc, the Lakers beat the Celtics in the finals, and that's what actually happened, so I can see that happening in Season 5 of the show. Uh, so that's 1984-85. 86, the Lakers lose to my Rockets, but the Rockets then turn around and lose to the Celtics, so we'll see how that goes. 87-88 could kind of be combined into a season because they went back-to-back, and that's probably its own storyline. And then, yes, they lose the Pistons, and then they lose the Suns, but I think the real apex as we keep going will be eventually you've got to get to magic johnson and hiv and how that kind of brings all this to an abrupt halt and i wonder if that's like season six seven arc i wonder how far we get before we get to that because i don't think they're going to fast forward through the drama again of these first couple of seasons and i don't think they're going to fast forward through the drama of the later seasons they're actually playing bird because they already built up that bird rivalry and so i wonder if we're going to not see any doubled up seasons like that we see entire seasons combined until like season five or six of the tv show and I also don't bluntly know how much this thing's been screenwritten out and how you get to that, but if I'm looking at natural conflict points, that's how I see it being written so far. That said, there were also unnatural conflict points put in the first season. There's the Magic and Cookie debacle, and I imagine that comes back up and resurfaces. Magic Johnson and women will be a constant theme of the show. I mean, it doesn't take someone who watched the first season to know that Magic liked himself, the ladies, and I can imagine that keeps on going as well. You'll have some big fallout between Magic and Kareem, I feel like that's going to happen earlier rather than later. Is that having a season two when Kareem is running the team on his own because Magic is out hurt? And you can see something happen where in the start of the, again, I think that they're going to start the next season of basketball in the course of the second season of the show. And so when Magic is asking to get traded because I don't want to work with West anymore, I can see Kareem having some big blow up where he says, do it, right? That could be something that you just see that actor do, the same jerk of an asshole that we saw in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the first season could be very much like, just do it or whatever. And we can see how that plays out as well. So I wonder if that's going to come earlier rather than later. I think it's interesting, though, that on the whole, we're looking at not getting the apex of the bird magic part of this rivalry until the third season, perhaps at the earliest. We might not even get it to the fourth. And that's interesting to say the least. Because the show seems to really be building that up already. And we all know in hindsight, and we're sitting here in 2022, we can look back at the 80s, that decade was defined by Magic versus Bird, and then at the end you have Michael Jordan kind of pop up, and the Pistons have their two-year run or whatever. Like, I could see how, realistically, this would feel like, of course it's going to happen. We need to start building up right away. But based on the layout of the show, unless they really condense some fairly major plot points, it feels like, I don't know we get to that until frankly, like I said, season three or probably four. And I wonder if that's a big misstep on the show because they frankly have already done a lot of the legwork in building that and how long can you really drag that out? I don't know. I'm not a writer. That's far from my expertise. I'm not a TV show writer. That's far from my expertise. The show is beautifully done. I just wonder how it's going to play out on the basketball side of things, knowing what I know about the basketball side of things. All right, friends, do you feel like you've talked enough about winning time? <laughs> anyway, it was a great, great show. I highly recommend you watching it on HBO. Uh, it's a, again, documents the entire 1979-1980 LA Lakers championship run. 
and they draft this rookie named Magic Johnson. They have this old veteran that is kind of a jerk to start the show named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's really, really important and fun show. I think it's an interesting look back at a great, great era for basketball and the era that basketball shifts in so many ways. So go back and check out that show. Uh, you can obviously watch that on HBO or wherever you watch your streaming shows or whatnot. You can find me and my personal stuff on Twitter to tell me how wrong you think I am at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram, make sure you log on to those things and tell me what you think about my predictions for upcoming seasons or my recap of the previous season. I guess my recap was really, really loosely based. I just said what I liked and didn't like. But tell me what you think about previewing the next few seasons of the show because I think it is going to be interesting to see where this show goes. This show has Instagram and Twitter as well. Instagram, the show is at F underscore N underscore sports. And on Twitter, we're at FN sports two. That's F-I-N-S-B-O-R-T-S number two. All one word on Twitter. Make sure you go to both those different channels. Follow and go to the link tree in the bio. From the link tree, but I find all of our sponsors. That's my bookie, the Beard Struggle, and Yeti for your cups, coolers, and koozies. You'll also be able to find a link to our merch store through the link tree in our bio. Uh, that merch store will have t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs, all of which send the proceeds to various charities based on what month it is. This month for ALS Awareness Month, we have a Lou Gehrig-themed t-shirt and hoodie. It's got some nice pinstripes on it. Got a little navy and white going on, a little navy and gray going on, just to remind you of the Lou Gehrig theme for the campaign. All money from that campaign will go directly to the ALS Association, so make sure you go check that out. Again, you can get the link tree in our bio, so go from there to the merch store, and you'll be able to find all of our different charitable t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Thank you for listening this far on the show and hearing me ramble some about winning time. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, download, rate, review. We'd love it if you did it on a couple different platforms. And whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.